Good morning. My name is Colton, and I'll be reading our passage this morning. Uh, If you would join me in John chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. That can be, uh, that will be on page 836 in your pew Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. If you would join me in hearing God's word this morning. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time and said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and what I, while I'm going to the, the pool, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is God's word. All right, my name is Michael Aiken, and uh, one of your pastor elders, and I'll be your servant of the word today. And we are, we're starting out uh, in this second Sunday of the new year. We're starting out our series, we're kicking up our series again in the Gospel of John, which is entitled That You Might Believe. And we've gone through chapters one through four so far in 2022. And so here we are, as Colton just read, chapter five, verses one through 18. This is what we're looking at today. We'll be doing that for the next seven weeks. Uh, and then there's, uh, Benjamin can explain later, there's, uh, there's Ecclesiastes after that, and then I, I guess John again. So anyhow, we're, we're going to keep going through John Well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to be looking at this passage, and I've entitled it, Healing the Hopeless. I'm going to start out with a quiz, though, and uh, I I would like you to take this quiz in your mind. You can write down the answers if you want. It's a true or false quiz. So there are two questions that I have for you. I'm going to ask you if you believe these are in the Bible or not, and to write down true or false. The first question is this. Is this phrase, or yeah, is this phrase in the Bible, cleanliness is next to godliness? Cleanliness is next to godliness. And the second one 
is God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Are both of those statements in the Bible? I hope you put false for both of those because they are not in the Bible. And yet I believe it's very common in our everyday speak. We've heard people who have told us these are biblical, but they are not. And so what I would like us to do, we're going to do a little jump here. We're going to look at that statement, God helps those who help themselves. That is contrary to Scripture. And now we're not against cleanliness either. Don't, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. We believe in cleanliness, but that those statements are found in the Bible, no. And so that God helps those who help themselves, that is not in the Bible, And it's contrary to Scripture. God helps the hopeless. We're going to see that today by the healing of a man who was unable to help himself. I love Romans 5, 6. It says it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so as we look at this amazing story here, where Jesus heals an invalid... I want you to personalize this teaching. I really appreciate uh, Phil's prayer very much. And he was getting us to personalize it. And I want you to do that as well, to personalize this. You might say to me, I'm not an invalid. But here's how I want you to personalize it. We outside of Christ are all weak, wounded, and wayward. It's in this weak and hopeless spiritual condition that God comes to our rescue. Jesus came to the rescue of each of us when he caused us to be born again. If you are a Christian, you have been born again. So before we continue on, let's pray. Lord, we just ask you now to be our teacher. Help us to hear your word, not the word of man. We want our consciences to be bound by you. So be our teacher, and Lord, help us to see you Help us to really understand who you are. And I pray for you to bring about an awakening in our congregation, an awakening in our nation to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to who you are, to our great need, to the guilt that we have before you and our great need for you. So this is our simple prayer, Lord, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our roadmap for today's message is found in three points. We see in verses 1 through 9 the healing, and then secondly in verses 9 down to verse 16 we see the controversy because of the healing, and then thirdly we see the lesson Jesus wants us to learn from this healing. So there's three points here. There's a healing, a controversy, and a lesson, and if if you like alliteration, I borrowed this from Warren Wiersbe, I like this. We see number one, the cure. Number two, the controversy. And number three, the claim. And so our first point is the healing, verses 1 through 9, which is this healing is not recorded in the other Gospels, unique to John. It is the third miracle recorded in John's Gospel. The first miracle, which was called a sign. Let's just pause for a minute. A sign is that which points to something outside of itself. 
The sign is not an end in itself. It points to something beyond itself. In other words, it has a lesson for us, a reality that we need to grasp. We're going to have that today with this sign, with this miracle. So what was the first sign? It was in John chapter 2, it was Jesus turning water into wine. And then the second sign, we'll see, is the healing of the official son in Capernaum. And that's in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Just before this passage, we're in John chapter 5. Now here's another thing we need to be reminded as we're in John again, is what is the purpose of John's gospel? And you'll see it in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life, you may have life in his name. John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Secondly, he wants us to know that he is the son of the living God. He's the son of God, the eternal son of God, which means he is God. And by trusting in Jesus, he wants us to know by believing in Jesus, trusting in him, we have eternal life. And so we as leaders here are encouraging all of you to read the gospel of John so that you would escape God's judgment and have eternal life. So under this first point here, the healing, we're going to look here at, this is John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read this again. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. This physical healing is a picture of the grace of God which comes to a man who is hopeless and helpless. He has been unable to walk for 38 years. He's probably paralyzed. He couldn't help himself. And though this is a physical healing, I want you to see here, this illustrates how helpless and unable we were in our lost spiritual condition. We are all born spiritually depraved unable, incapable to save ourselves until God comes to our rescue. And he is the one who causes us to be born again. When God breathes new life into us, we are then able to believe in Jesus and be rescued from our sins. It's God's power that healed this paralyzed man. 
and see how I'm applying it here. And it is God's power that raises our dead souls to new life. So I believe this is how the physical healing applies or illustrates something spiritual for us. The point God wants us to see here is it's God's power that healed this man. It's one of the points. He healed him physically. It's God's power. And after asking the man if he wanted to be healed, all Jesus then said to him was this. Probably didn't say it very loud, did he? Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Those simple three words, or three statements there, get up, three commands, he did them. And the man got up and walked, and after being unable to do that for 38 years, that's amazing. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, it is because God's grace and God's power that you were born again and believed in Jesus for your salvation. You couldn't save yourself. You were weak, wounded, and wayward when Jesus found you and saved you. And even as a believer now, you are battling with remaining sin. We all do. You recognize, I recognize, that I am still weak, wounded, and wayward. And so are you. And so if you are here today, and maybe you have never seen your helpless and lost condition, my prayer for you today is that, you would, that God would draw you, and I would beg of you to come to Jesus today for the forgiveness of all of your sins. So, so far under this first point, the, the healing or the cure, we have seen the grace and power of God in healing this man. And this is also a picture of how God saves sinners like you and me. But there's another point here I want you to notice under this healing, and it is the compassion of Jesus. He looked on the man, and there were multitudes that were there, probably hundreds of invalids lying there by the pool of Bethesda, which Bethesda means house of mercy. But there's only one man who was chosen to be healed out of all those hundreds, and Jesus did that just for this hopeless man. Why? Because he had compassion on him. He knew that he had been in this condition for 38 years and he wanted to physically heal this man so that he could walk and experience new life. And while physical healing is important, I'm stating that here, Jesus had a concern for the man's spiritual condition. He did have a concern for the man's physical condition, but there is a deeper concern here that Jesus had. And we're going to see that as we look to the controversy or as my favorite Scottish professor would call it, the controversy. The controversy that happened was with the religious leaders who John called. You'll notice as you look through the text, they are called the Jews. They had a lot of power. They're the Pharisees, by the way, the Sadducees probably. They have lots of power, and the people feared them because they believed their, eternity, their eternal destiny was connected to their relationship with them. So the Jews, as they're called here in verse 10, refers to these religious, these are religious gatekeepers. Look at them that way. For the nation Israel, they're gatekeepers. They had the power to kick you out of the synagogue. They were to punish false teachers. That they did. These leaders, we may call them the Sabbath police, they were outraged that this man 
was healed and was breaking the Sabbath by carrying his bed. So let's read about this controversy in verses 9 through 16. So if you have your Bible, look at verses 9 through 16. It says in verse 9, And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. I'm trying to... I mean, they're, they're outraged here. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. That's his defense. They, they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus could have done this on another day. He could have avoided this controversy, right? But Jesus did this on the Sabbath because there was something about himself he wanted them and the whole world to know. That lesson or claim that Jesus made will be our last point. But let's look at the controversy itself here. The Jewish leaders said the man who was healed was breaking the Sabbath by carrying his bed. The Sabbath was to be kept. It was to be kept holy, as the fourth commandment states. But the Jewish leaders came up with 39 different rules for how to keep the Sabbath holy. These were man-made interpretations that Jesus was taking on, disagreeing with them. The Jewish leaders had added to God's word. The word of man is what they added. Their interpretation they equated with Scripture. They were seeking to bind people's consciences by their man-made interpretations. Jesus says in another place, they bind, they put things heavy on you. And I, and I think here, when, when you put something on people's consciences, it's like, I don't know if it's a good illustration, but it's like carrying a backpack that's just too heavy. Maybe 50 pounds would be too heavy for you, or 100 pounds would be ridiculous. And imagine if you had to go 15 miles like that. Or maybe you've had, I've had people in my life who'd bind my conscience with obligations they, that he, they want me to do. Like, I don't visit them enough, and so they'll make me feel guilty. That's, they are binding people's consciences with extras that are not scripture. Jesus, in healing the man on the Sabbath, I want to make this clear, was not breaking the Sabbath, nor the man nor was the man breaking the Sabbath by carrying his bed. The Jewish leaders confront the man for his supposed Sabbath breaking, and he defends himself. How do you like this defense? By saying, I'm just doing exactly what the, the man who healed me told me to do. And when they asked who the healer is, he says, I don't know. 
And as verse 13 says, here's what they said. Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Now, this is an interesting point too. There's this large crowd, maybe hundreds. Jesus didn't want to make a scene, so he heals the man by his powerful word. Uh, compare that to faith healing, where you have large crowds and you make much to do. Jesus doesn't do that. He slips away, as the NIV says, or he dodges out of there. He turns to the side. It's kind of like, you know when you're in a room and you just kind of want to get out of there and you don't want anybody to see you. You, you go in, you see someone you didn't, oh, I, I want to get out of here. <laughs> you know, I want to get out. That's what Jesus did here. Or like, I think of dodging away. I think of playing dodgeball, you know. Just, you know, I don't want to get hit by the ball. I'm dodging. So that's what Jesus slips away. And before Jesus gets involved in the controversy, he seeks out the man he healed. And he finds him at the temple. And verse 14 tells us what Jesus said to the man just healed. He says, see, you are well. Now, the next part startles us, doesn't it? Okay, he, he acknowledges at first his healing, but he says then, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So again, your, your health has been restored. And that's, that is a big deal. But there's a bigger thing here, and that's what we're seeing in this, what Jesus says here. The bigger deal is his spiritual condition. And I, I just want to remind us, the miracles point to something else. Not just physically getting well, but now, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And I'm, I'm not going to go on a sidetrack here about sin and disease and all that. We just don't have time for that. That would be fascinating and helpful, actually. But I just want to state real clearly here that Jesus is addressing something that to us sounds, it sounds moralistic. Let's be honest. He's telling the man to stop sinning. And I don't believe Jesus is being moralistic here. He is telling the man his sin is a great offense to God and that it has terrible consequences. So what does Jesus mean when he says that nothing worse may happen to you could it refer to something more you know worse physically I would say maybe but probably not as we look to the context of this passage so looking we read down to verse 18 if you look at verses 19 all the way down to verse 47 we see that judgment and eternal matters of heaven or hell are addressed by Jesus. I believe Jesus is warning the man of the greater danger of eternity in hell. I believe that is the something worse that could happen to him, is to perish forever in his sin. In essence, Jesus is telling the man to repent of his sins and turn to him for salvation. Stop sinning is a command the man cannot keep, not perfectly. 
And it should cause him to turn to Jesus for help, for salvation. Jesus, I believe, did something similar when he was asked by the rich young ruler what he had to do to obtain eternal life. Jesus answered the man, the rich young ruler, keep God's commands. The rich young man said, I've done all that. Now, doesn't that sound moralistic? Jesus told the man, keep God's commands. And when I say moralistic, what I mean is like work salvation. To be moralistic means you do good things to earn salvation. But Jesus is not doing that. Jesus is trying to get the man to see his sinfulness, the rich young ruler. He wants him to see his guilt, his moral bankruptcy before a holy and just God who requires perfect perfect righteousness. As I said, the context of John 5 shows us it is all about turning to Jesus, who is the God-man, the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. Now there I'm going to the broader context. That's John 14, 6. But Jesus said a little later in chapter 5 here to, and this is very rich teaching here, when you keep reading on verses 19 to the end. But he says this to the Jewish leaders in verse 40, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Let that sink in. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. And one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, although John 3.16 maybe is it, but uh, verse 24 of John 5, love this verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words, this is the word of Jesus here, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. If all we do is care for people physically and do not care for their souls and where they will spend eternity, we are not being like Jesus. Jesus did both. Jesus cared for the man in both body and soul. On another occasion, Jesus said this, do not fear, this is another gospel, it's Matthew's gospel, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I want you to hear this. Love warns people about future judgment and tells them how to flee the wrath of God, which all people are under, because all people, without exception, are sinners. All are weak, wounded, and wayward. We have seen the healing, the cure, the controversy, and now we will see the lesson or the claim Jesus gives this lesson will start in verse 17. It's just 10 words. Listen to these 10 words that Jesus uttered. And this infuriated the Jewish leaders. The 10 words were, My father is working until now, and I am working. And let's be honest, as you hear those words, why get upset about that? My father is working until now, and I am working. There's a lot going on here. We weren't there, first of all. We didn't see the tone. We didn't see how he said it. But when the man who was healed told the leaders who healed him, they, being the Sabbath police, went after Jesus 
And this is what they said in verse 16. Or, and in verse 16, it says it this way. This is John commenting here. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. This is why the Sabbath police were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They bound people's consciences with things they ought not to have done. That's what they, they were trying to bind things that were not Scripture. And at first they went after Jesus for Sabbath breaking because of what the man told them. They identified who healed this man. He did it on the Sabbath. But now they're really upset with Jesus because he said this, My father is working until now and I am working. Jesus is basically saying, if you do not understand who I am, or excuse me, he's basically saying this, if you would just understand who I am, you would have no problem with me healing on the Sabbath. You don't know who I am. I am equal to God. Jesus is saying, in essence here with these words, my Father is working until now and I am working. He is saying, I am God. Jesus lets us know why they were furious. Or I should say, John lets us know why they were furious over these ten words. So in verse 18, that is John making clear for us, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why the leaders were upset. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, he says. This is verse 18. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. When Jesus called God his own Father, the, G the Jewish leaders understood Jesus to be claiming equality with God. And they were right in their understanding. If they were wrong... Jesus would have corrected them. But when you read the context, verses 19 to the end, he builds on it. He gives them the ten words and then he gives them a whole lot more. All the way to the end of the, teacher, uh, end of the chapter there. This is a long teaching that Jesus gives about his relationship with the Father. And I like what uh, J.C. Ryle says. This is some of the deepest teaching in all of Scripture. Verses 19 to the end. And uh, actually, he says it's just the Gospels. It's the deepest teaching in all the Gospels. The religious leaders rightly understood the claim Jesus was making. They understood it rightly, but they didn't believe he was equal with God. Why? Why didn't they believe he was equal? They understood what he was getting at. Why didn't they believe he was equal with God? And the answer is because they thought he was a mere man and was committing the sin of blasphemy. Jesus, by calling God his Father in the way he did, was showing that he is God. This is the lesson Jesus wants us to get from the healing for today. There are more details which are going to be preached in future sermons here, verses 19 to 47. But the big point for today is this, Jesus is God. If he is just a man, then what he is claiming makes him either a lunatic 
or a liar, or both, as C.S. Lewis has emphasized. Jesus is equal with the Father because He is God. Jesus said in verse 19, the last part of that, For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus does everything exactly like the Father does. And that proves He is God. He is synchronizing with the Father, like synchronized swimming. Have you seen that? Where they just, everything is the same. It's just so amazing, synchronized swimmers. The Father and the Son are doing the same thing. They are working. They're doing the work of, they've already done the work of creation. Now they're doing the work of recreation, new creation. And they are sustaining the universe. They are doing gracious works of mercy, healing, raising the dead to life, spiritually and physically. And so this is showing that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Again, as C.S. Lewis has stated so eloquently, and I'm summarizing, he is either, Jesus is, a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And he is Lord. Jesus is teaching that the Father and the Son always work together and not separately. And I like how Tozer says it. The persons of the Godhead being one have one will. They work always together and every act of God is accomplished by the Trinity in unity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do not have three wills. Because if they did, there would be three gods, not one. There is only one will in God, three persons in the essence of God. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Verse 18 makes it clear that the religious leaders sought to kill Jesus because he claimed to be God. This matter of Jesus being God is a big deal. Our Savior had to be truly God and truly man. Jesus was always the Son of the Father. And in time, he took on our nature so that he could live the perfect life of obedience, which we should have lived, and then died the death we deserve to die and bear the full wrath of God for our sins. If Jesus is not God and just a mere man, we have no Savior and no forgiveness of our sins. If Jesus isn't God and if he's just a man, we might as well close up shop here today, go home and worship someone else or something else or not worship at all. Jesus takes the occasion of this healing to make many big points. We're going to see those in verses 19 through 47, future sermons. But the big point for us today is this. He is God. A mere man could not die for our sins because all men are sinners, except Jesus. And because they're sinners, they are under the penalty of death. They couldn't be a substitute then. And also, no creature could bear the infinite wrath of God or satisfy the infinite justice of God. That's impossible. We need God to come to our rescue. And that's what, what a wonderful God we have who has worked all this out for us by sending us the Savior, the God-man, Jesus. And so today, we have seen the amazing grace of God in this passage, in Jesus healing the paralyzed man who couldn't walk for 38 years. Jesus did this great miracle for this man, I believe out of compassion for his terrible condition, 
But Jesus took the occasion of this healing to have a controversy which allowed him to show the leaders and the world who he is. He's God. The miracles weren't ends in themselves, but were primarily about revealing God's glory, his power, and who Jesus is. Our God, Emmanuel, which means God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, who came to save us, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want to see you as you really are. You are God. Lord Jesus, we have just read that you have done this amazing miracle out of compassion for this man. Lord, help us to realize We have been rescued, we who are, all of us, weak, wounded, and wayward. And I pray, Lord, for those who may not know you today, I pray that they would examine their hearts. May they see that they're in a terrible way if they die today without you, and I pray that they would come to know you. I pray for us who know you, Lord, that we would be further humbled. It's all of you. Thank you for your grace, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.